This is the Scalf Podcast, and I am Mark Belden. Scalf is to be found at www.scalf.org.uk. It's a virtual project space, accessible to anyone everywhere. Like a physical artist-run gallery, it's a space created and curated by artists, presenting work in different ways. It's not the documentation of an exhibition happening somewhere else. The site is the space and the visitor is you on your computer or device. Exhibitions happen quarterly, and the podcast accompanies each show, featuring an interview with the curator of the exhibition. Recently, someone asked me about my thinking when I do interviews for this podcast. I suppose I'm asking questions as another artist, as a painter. I'm interested in the process of making work and the mechanics of putting work out into the world. I want to know how things come about. If a show on Scalf is part of a larger project, I guess I'm thinking of the episodes with Cypher Billboard and Swap Editions, it's really nice to have the time to talk about the previous exhibitions or how things started. To discuss how decisions came out of working, maybe even the problems encountered along the way. These are details that might never make it into an essay or an artist statement, but maybe these things are important to know. It might be encouraging or helpful to the next person thinking of starting something up. That brings us around to this episode. My guest this time is Claire Undy. Claire is an artist and curator and co-founded Scalf in 2016. She's put together Ways and Means, which is the new show on Scalf. The exhibition is the result of an open call and all the works address some aspect of living and working during the pandemic and the lockdown. I wanted to know about the new exhibition, but it also felt like an amazing chance to talk about the history of Scalf and ask about how it's put together. Scalf is a collaborative effort. It worked differently in the past and may change and evolve in the future. But as someone who's worked with Scalf in different ways for almost three years now, I think a lot of what you see on the site comes down to Claire's unique skills, an understanding of contemporary art combined with the knowledge of how to code and build web pages. More than that, the ability to bring together a wide range of artists and continue to provide an open space for collaboration and experimentation. I spoke to Claire over Zoom. I guess this is the second lockdown episode of the Scalf podcast. There's something nice about doing these every three months. It's sort of a, an inadvertent journal of these times. Last time there was the difficult adjustment of living under lockdown, and this time it's more a thoughtful pondering of how we go forward as things open up again. I'm really interested to see where we are in October. Before my interview with Claire, I thought we could hear part of the audio from Look Then Leap's piece, Make a Noisy Sculpture. You can see it in the show. It's an electric guitar being brushed by a suspended twig swaying in the breeze. So I guess I, I wanted to start maybe by asking about the origins of Scalf and how it, how it started. Yeah, uh, okay. Um, I set Scalf up in 2016 with Heather Ross, who's an artist. 
Um, she's based in Preston now. Um, so we, we initially started it up um, between the two of us, but I've been running it by myself for, I think since, yeah, since uh, probably the end of 2016. Um, and I set it up because it was something I wanted to be curating shows and I wanted to work with other artists on exhibitions. Um, I just finished a postgraduate at that point and I think the climate when I finished was quite different from when I started and it felt that the, to me that there were less opportunities to do that so there weren't as many small spaces uh, to work in. I didn't have a budget to pay to use spaces and I think I just felt a bit frustrated by the fact that yeah I couldn't work with the artists I wanted to work with and put on exhibitions and things and also I wanted to exhibit myself and I thought actually what do I need to do that and what I needed was really just a deadline and I guess some kind of formal frame around what it was that I was doing to say this is finished and I'm showing it to somebody um, which helped me make work um, so I thought if I can put that on then I can you know offer that to other people as a platform so because um, I, I, I had been teaching myself coding for a while and it just felt like an unlimited space to work in so where I was maybe limited in um, having a physical space or having a big budget, this is pretty much free and I could show an infinite amount of stuff or, yeah, work with an infinite amount of people in different places. And, yeah, so that was mainly how it came about, really, was that, yeah, wanting to work with other people, really, and finding a way to, to do that. And were, were you already... So you were work, you were coding and working with that before. That was part of my practice. That was just um, I just learned how to code from a book because I wanted to have an art website when I finished my painting BA, which was quite a long time ago. And and then it had been I'd had a few freelance jobs making websites for people just to earn some money on the side. So I'd carried it on and. Um, yeah that, so that was all it was really it was just a sort of a, a way of earning a bit of money and um, but then I kind of I guess began thinking about the internet as a really useful platform that wasn't maybe being used as much as it could have been for sharing art because I think sometimes all an artist needs is just is the moment that everyone turns up at the private view to see your work or the moment that you send it out to people or something it's just that kind of formality of saying it will be ready on this day at this time and I would like for you to look at it I think that really helps a lot of people to to finish work and make work and um I, sp I suppose yeah I guess that 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 thing of making it public as well that that draws a line under it and you can say it's done because people started looking at it so I can't keep changing it. I can't keep changing it. I have to finish it by this date. It's a, it's it's kind of a false pressure, but it, I think it's as real as saying, you know, the exhibition will open on Tuesday. It's it's just um, it, it you designate a time, don't you, and then work from that. And yeah, I also kind of 
I, I mean, I, I guess that's why it started for quite practical reasons, but I've become quite interested in uh, the possibilities of the internet as um, a way that you can, it's a lot more accessible as a medium. It's a lot less restrictive in terms of who can see things, who, who you can share things with. It's not ever, you know, not everybody can get to a garage in Peckham on a Thursday night and see an exhibition. It's, you know, it, it felt like, I think there is a bit of a stigma about things on the internet being less good somehow or less real. But I think if, I don't know, there's a sort of counter to that, that actually you might be able to share it with a wider audience and have a bigger conversation with um, people that you might not otherwise reach. Well, I, yeah, I know from do, doing shows in a garage in Peckham that it can be, you know, downwards of a dozen people actually see it, you know, and other, outside of the opening. And I enjoy that too. I, I You know, I think that's, I, I don't think, I'm not presenting Scalf as a kind of alternative to showing artwork in the real world, let's scrap one and do the other, but I think it's just another platform it's another way of doing it and yeah where the what you lose on one side you, you gain in other ways and yeah I particularly like working with people on the site who maybe make physical work or you know sculpture paintings things that or installation things that maybe aren't digital and then looking at how we can translate that into code so I sort of act as the technician in that respect, perhaps. And there, you know, we we look at their work and work out what it is about it that's kind of key. And I quite like playing with the idea of if you take all the physical properties out of something, what is it? What's what it is about the work that is still there, or I don't know, maybe you lose all of it. But yeah, I think there's there's a lot of interesting places to go with artworks once you take everything out of them. And then, and and because you're coding the site, you're able to, for each project, sort of build it from scratch, and it doesn't necessarily have to have a, the same functionality as the last one. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's quite, um, it's, yeah, I think it works really well when artists um, push the possibilities of that. I think some of the best shows that we've had on the site have been when we weren't quite sure how to make what it was that they wanted at first. And there's been a lot of dialogue back and forth between me and the artist normally um, to work out what it was that they were trying to do and how we might be able to make that work via code. And the internet's a great resource of uh examples of how to do things you know with html or javascript and if you usually somebody's done something similar that you can borrow a bit of code from and adapt it and change it and yeah i think that's usually when the work when something new comes about because somebody's yeah really exploring what those possibilities are um i think i definitely try and think of it as a project space in that respect rather than a gallery to just plonk finished work into I kind of think of it as a ideally an opportunity to 
make something new that might not have otherwise existed or might not be able to exist in another context. And um, yeah, it's kind of. Well, I guess it's, it's, it's maybe in an online way, it's kind of, because there's, I always, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure when I would pin it in time, but I feel like there was, before my time, there was some <laughs> ideal moment of the project space or artist-run centre when space was very cheap and um, there was room to really play in it or try things out. And Yeah, there's an enormous pressure on space and um, where there is space that's affordable there isn't necessarily an audience and I think artists always seem to be faced with this choice of you've either got a community of people around you which is valuable and helpful to work with or you could move somewhere where it's affordable and you can have some more space but you don't necessarily have that uh, dialogue in an accessible way you know or the the kind of artist community is, is much smaller and yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for the internet as just a um, limitless space and you can then have that dialogue with all kinds of artists and increasingly it's it's got artists from all around the world in it, which is really nice. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed that process of having conversations with people, yeah, from other continents that I wouldn't have otherwise met or been able to work with because it's also I guess at the moment all well, I suppose we're sort of emerging from a kind of lockdown at the moment but during that time when when all the all the galleries and all the commercial galleries shut every there was this huge rush for people to try and figure out an online project or um and maybe trying to find a more off-the-shelf model that fit everyone. There were some really unpleasant um, virtual experiences that I think... Um, I mean, I think that there's a real difference in... I, You know, you deliberately... If you're going to make work that exists online, you're, you're deliberately sidestepping the commercial potential of that work. It's a kind of... You've... The work is commercially of value because it's singular and rare and there's one of them and it's only one person can own it or it can only be seen in one place at a time, which is a necessary setup for a commercial gallery to have for their artwork. You know, they construct these very limited frames that you can see their work in you have to be here at a certain time, you have to travel to a certain place, it's, you know, things become more exclusive, which makes them more desirable, whereas if you're not engaging with that side of things at all, and you're just making it ideally to show as many people as possible, then I think it's, um, it's a lot easier, you can be a lot more playful with it, whereas when I think, I think that's what I set up, in my opinion, some of those sort of online attempts at you know exhibitions when they're done by somebody who's ultimately still trying to sell you something and say that it's exclusive and rare and you know doesn't belong on the internet it it there's a disconnect I think there um 
Yeah, maybe the model sometimes in the background was the like a very expensive online shop rather than experimenting with what can happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it sort of, um, yeah, there was a sort of glut of content initially of every, every talk that had been scheduled, every, you know, viewing, everything that you might have gone to physically became a virtual experience, which, you know, in some ways is quite exciting. And I think probably will mean that a lot of people have turned around with a lot of things and gone oh actually you know this, this could be done online or this could be made more accessible which is probably great if you live outside of the city or you you know you need to you have other limits to what you can do I guess it's finding a balance between the two isn't it then it also makes it that people can fit it in around their lives you know people can if you if you weren't able to go to a talk at a certain time, not everybody works the same hours. People have different responsibilities. They can, you could listen to it at six in the morning when going for a walk, or you can do it whenever it suits you. It's, um, I think that's another thing. Of, yeah, makes everything easier to access. Yeah, I was wondering if the the process of building the site changed a lot over the four years or uh yeah I think I think firstly well I used to do solo shows on the site so it was usually inviting one artist to do an exhibition and paired with a writer so there might be you know there'd be an accompanying text with each solo exhibition uh, and that was monthly so that would usually be more working more intensely with sort of one person in conversation to make that, to set up that exhibition. And then after uh, the beginning of 2019, I started a different way of doing it where it was the shows were quarterly rather than monthly. Um, but I was working with a lot more artists each time. But rather than curating it, myself I was approaching a guest curator for each of the quarterly projects and that was just to really try and increase the uh, range of people that were on the site because I'd done I don't know 25 30 shows or something like that and the I think I was maybe I had I was always finding, you know, people's work that I liked or that I knew of or that I'd come across. And I wanted to find ways of reaching other artists that maybe I hadn't come across their work ever or maybe it wasn't even to my taste, perhaps. But um, it would have started a more interesting conversation to have them on board. So that was the idea behind having these guest curators each time, because then they've designed how they want the works to engage with one another. So the sort of visuals for each of the quarterly programme has been down to the curator each time. So they're all quite different, which becomes a piece of work in itself. Um, and then, yeah, and then there's sort of, I think, I mean, the average about 10 artists in each show, sometimes more, sometimes a few less. And um, so overall, I've been able to work with more artists each time, but it's actually felt like, four more concentrated pieces each year rather than 
12 that, yeah, uh, might, I don't know, the differences might not be as apparent. Or... Yeah, I guess there's like it, 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 maybe it's bigger gaps, but then a bigger push every time because you're, it's not just a writer and an artist that you're coordinating it. Yeah, um, and it's also, I guess, I think, I was trying to think of what was, what would be lacking for the artist in the process of showing in the solo exhibition and part of it was the private view it was that bit where you meet people and people come to your show and you um you all just have a a a chat together and you kind of maybe see them again at something else or you know their work then and you move forward having that connection and so Ideally, I've been trying to kind of have a, it's not, I mean, not possible in lockdown, but have a kind of uh, a get together of some kind with the artists where possible, the ones that are within a travelable distance of one another for each exhibition so that there is just that face-to-face, or, you know, maybe Zoom connection between everybody. And yeah, then I think people... You know, it's been nice for me to hear when artists have worked together again in the future after those, you know, after they've met, you know, do, doing the shows because you feel like, well, that's what it's for, isn't it? You know, it's, it's meant that people, you make a connection with another artist, you have a conversation, the work goes somewhere else, it brings things to each other. And um, yeah, it's just making a little community. I think it's been more valuable than everybody doing their own show separately. and. Um, yeah I guess it's a bigger it's sort of um, I can't think of the word it sort of webs out into the each show the curator is bringing in these people that that wouldn't have maybe known the other people in the show or known you or um, and then those people will maybe know about the next show and then that's a whole other network of people that's come in or tangentially kind of related through different collaborations or working or just finding. It's great. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, yeah. I guess that's the idealism of uh, the internet, isn't it? That you can make this bigger web and a bigger web and a bigger web and, yeah, with a common interest. But, yeah, I guess it, I guess it's that balance between to to still have a little bit of curation or have a little bit of a... a formalized structure so it's not you're not just wandering around aimlessly in this sort of you know that um there's a way of kind of finding a bit of community or you know seeing finished product projects in it yeah and i guess that's yeah finding the right curators to do each one is the, the common thread is perhaps me thinking oh what you know what would be the right thing to come next or what do we what kind of thing have we had and how, how could the next one be different or yeah I mean this current shows an exception to the yeah well I, I was just thinking that it's 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 different again because it's an open call I mean I guess I I started the first thing I did with Skelf was the art feast open call but um and I guess Swap Editions project, I guess, was an open call, sort of one step removed from you. But um, yeah, through uh, yeah, through Swap. That, um, 
I guess the difference with this one, I mean, this is a, this was a response to the coronavirus situation. So it, it was added in the, the show that was due to be opening now is going to open in October now um, because I had a conversation with the curator of that and it just felt like it felt like the wrong climate to begin her show in and it felt like it would be an, a missed opportunity not to find a way to work with um, the way that a whole bunch of artists were suddenly working when that is what we've been doing with Scarf all along. It's always been, you know, this hopefully a way to celebrate, you know, the, I guess the possibilities of what you can do online and what, uh, what can be shared and and suddenly it felt like oh lots of people are with us all of a sudden everybody's working yeah. online and uh, this is it's kind of um well and i suppose lots of people are you know they're like the normal showing opportunities or we're all of a sudden stopped or postponed and but people are still finding ways of working and finding ways of working remotely and a lot of that becomes something that can be it was shared online. Touching to see the works that came in just in terms of you know I think all day you know I get a bit saturated with the news of how it's ruining everything for everybody in every field and in every industry and I guess the lasting impact is going to be enormous for a lot of people for a long time but the I mean the, the kind of premise I put on the show that I, I, I wanted people to apply with was work that was sort of celebrating finding new ways of working and um, so kind of taking a positive spin on a bad situation and um, yeah it was just amazing to see the amount of people who had found new ways of working through necessity who had found other means of making things or um, different subject matter or different when all of the things that they thought they needed to make their artwork were taken away from them they couldn't get to their studio or they didn't have their equipment or they were suddenly looking after children all day or they you know um they'd lost their job or they you know all of, all of these things that have happened to a lot of people it kind of meant that yeah somehow people are still making work and 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 a lot of people are making really lovely work that wouldn't have otherwise happened. And um, yeah, so it's been really enjoyable to see a lot of those. And yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, there was something really, there was something kind of hopeful in it as well. Like the fact, I mean, maybe like Sam's piece or uh, Leap Then Look's piece that, you know, you can just make something or in maybe other things come into it, but you can make something in the back garden and there are all these constraints on what you can do, but there's still room to be playful. I guess there's a sort of freedom in that you don't, because people, I, I guess maybe people's expectations are different. I don't know whether it's an audience or an artist, but this need to be, you know, completely professional at all times and finish everything to the most um, professional standards that you can manage. When, when it's just not possible, 
and actually all you've got is an A4 piece of paper or um, you know something very low key you can film it on your phone or um, then actually maybe it, I don't know for me at least it just really emphasizes that you don't need all of that stuff you don't need 4k video equipment to make an artist film sometimes it's nice but it's not vital you can film something on your mobile phone and actually the what's special about the piece of work is still there whether the quality is as high or not and um yeah there's a kind of a rawness to that and and I guess all the fact that all of the work um you know the open call was in May and the lockdown began in March so the work was all fresh and recent and new and you know, it wasn't people's greatest hits. It wasn't a, a collection of the stuff that they've spent the last few years really working and thinking about. It was um, something a little as experimental aside that they had done. And yeah, a lot of them felt quite fun and quite, they weren't burdened with the context of somebody's practice. How does this fit in in the grander scheme of everything else I've made? It, it, it could just be a little something a bit different. Well, then I guess within that timeline, it was it would either be something they had just started without any idea of where it was going to end up, or it was something that had happened really quickly after the call had gone out. You know, I, I guess the yeah, and I suppose that there's something I, yeah, there's, it feels like there's been something interesting this year that people are really up that people feel really able to be upfront about limitations. Like you can kind of say, like, can't go to the studio. I have no money. <laughs> I have, or I have no time because I have children. Or I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic that I think, you know, where it's important because, I, I, I mean, I don't really buy into the whole facade of pretending that we all have a team of assistants in our great big studios and that, you know, most people are working on a laptop at 11 o'clock at night and that might be yeah a sort of real life and I think it's yeah you can cut all of that out and the work's still just as interesting just as exciting it doesn't I don't think it needs I think that's another relic from the commercial art world that we have to sort of um, present everything with white gloves I don't really buy that I don't think it's a necessary thing to present your work like that because there's, there's also something nice like maybe i was thinking of like tom's piece that especially and a, and a lot of the others that it's like the the works in the show it's a bit like being privy to someone's journal or a little snapshot of their life and i don't know how much there's you know set up in fictionalizing or how much you're just catching a moment and uh sarah roberts poems as well you know they're very they're introspective, but yet everything's kind of relatable. It's the kind of domestic life that we've all we've all had a lot more of than we normally do of our lives. Normally, that's not the bit that you share, or it's not the bit that feels important. Why would this be interesting to anybody else? Why is this? Whereas, yeah, there's something I think a lot. I think quite a lot of the works are quite poetic, and people are almost finding something special in the stuff that they normally overlook or you just you see so regularly there's nothing in it um like uh, Scott Pierce's work which is just a 
I say just it's, it's, it's a it's just a video out of window of um mm. view of some um houses in Edinburgh and it's uh, I mean the, the edition we've got on the site is half an hour long and very little happens the light changes the, um you know you see some washing moving and you see and actually it's very meditative and it, it I don't know that one really that was one of the first pieces we picked because it really felt quite characteristic of lockdown it, it felt like it's on the one hand it was extremely boring but then you start to find these beautiful things in almost nothing and yeah just looking out the window a lot and uh yeah there was something really special about that piece I thought and yeah and I think it kind of comes out again in quite a few of the others where um almost nothing is happening you know something was very slight but there's just a kind of a beauty in it or a bit of poetry and just framing a fairly incidental moment somewhere and yeah people you, you sort of get this sense of artists all at home just looking at their surroundings slightly differently or you know and just share there's something nice about being able to share that with other people well I think it was like I feel like I, I was thinking about this and it felt like over lockdown like there was sort of this weird elasticity to time or it was these moments of being quite busy or being in crisis and then other moments of like, yeah, staring out the window <laughs> for half a day, you know. And, and I think it's just having the normal kind of structures on your time taken away and then you sort of, you start seeing it quite differently. I think a lot of people have found it very difficult to make work. I think that's another thing that, um, a conversation I've had with a lot of artists is, I mean, some people have had no time at all because they've been working and they've had no childcare or they've had other restrictions and they've been very busy. But other people have had everything taken, you know, their job's gone or they've been furloughed. They can't get to their studio. They've suddenly got all of this time on their hands that they feel they ought to be creative and then they haven't been able to be. They've been kind of stifled by slightly shock in what had happened and almost having not enough restrictions on them. Um, so I guess in a way it's great that the artists that are in the show have been able to work through that and make something of it, you know, make, make something out of it or um, set up scenarios that the, the work still functions because yeah, it's, it has been very boring for some or very stressful for others and I guess and sometimes both all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it, there were weird things that sort of I found affecting me, like um, looking at Kate and Jenny's work in the show, that maybe the fact that there's this, there's something collaborative happening and then also the fact that, I, you know, it's been so long since I've watched someone else set up an installation and it was just like, it was like something like, you know, oh, there could be ASMR videos of this on YouTube and I'd watch them probably. And it was like, it was like this, this sort of thing I didn't know I'd missed until I saw it. There's, some, there's a lot of um, touch, watching other people touch things 
in the show, which I think is a bit of a theme or things that sort of suggest or imply touch or talk about a kind of um, a haptic experience because they're, and I don't know if that is the nature of, I mean, a lot of internet videos that you see of adverts or people teaching you how to cook something or, you know, we see a lot of hands doing things online. That's kind of a familiar site for us, but the, there's, I'm thinking of um, uh, Sam's work, for example, or, you know, um, there's, there's something about a wish to convey an experience to an audience of touch and materiality and... Or, or like um, Evangelia's work. It's um, that, yeah, just very tactile and... And yet it's strangely the kind of poetic words over the top of hers become, it, it sort of enhances that sense of it being about the body when really that's not what the video is. The video is sort of about this process of catching eels, which I didn't know anything about, but yes, yeah, suddenly we can kind of relate to everything or we can project our own bodies onto it. Or um, there was there's some lovely bits in Kate and Jenny's video where um, there's, there's sections where it's got videos on Instagram that have been played on an iPad that are sort of being, I guess, responded to in a performative way. And there's this relationship between real things touching a glass surface. You can hear things being dropped on a, an iPad and then we can see a video of that. And then we can see hands interacting with objects and, or placing things. In, and there's kind of layer upon layer of, I guess, communicating physical experiences or the weight of objects or the surface of objects or the way they move when we touch them and yeah all of it feels it's kind of satisfying in some ways because you want to I don't know I want to be in the studio and touching <laughs> materials and working with things again but but it's also yeah it makes you um it's sort of nostalgic and frustrating as well because you're behind a screen and you, you can't well, I guess even like on a slight tangent from that, there are things like um, Elon's work that it's sort of the, the, these guys on Tinder, and then and then it's just like I, I don't really know like over this period what's happened to online dating or how people have negotiated that and um, that I mean that was just quite a lovely thing for. Um there's a few works that use, I guess, existing online spaces. So she's um, made these paintings of men on Tinder. And then she's, I mean, the work itself is shown in Instagram. So there's kind of a, you know, a continually updating Instagram profile with, with these portraits on. And they, I mean, they're very beautiful paintings, but the the fact that they come from Tinder and so they have these absurd poses and makes it quite fun but then actually a lot of them look they're almost like classical paintings of some of the mm. kind of setups some of the men are in and I don't know it's sort of cheesy and funny but also a, a nice way to explore a different type of painting I suppose 
you know, it kind of feels like an appropriate site for it. It should be on the internet. It should be kind of swipeable. It should be, um, yeah. But also, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I guess in a sort of era of distancing, it's a kind of, introduce these different mediations into it that so it's been taken into painting and then it's been taken to a whole other website and then it's it's, it's sort of designed to be looked at you know they're meant to be instantly attention grabbing aren't they? they you see them for a second and you decide whether or not you're interested in them and yet they've been labored over to have these paintings made of them but then they've been presented in a manner that you again are just going to flip through and on to the next one and yeah, there's kind of, it, it's just interesting how it takes the painting to a different place. And there's uh, also uh, Sophie Cunningham, who's been working with, she's got um, like an e-commerce shop oh, yeah. of yeah. her sculptures that she's been making with um, clothing that she's been buying and then reappropriating as a, into a sculptural form, which... Um, and the setup of that, you know, you can go onto the shop and view it. And I think the baskets are empty at the moment because you can't, yeah, you can't purchase the things because the shop is closed due to COVID. But it's, um, yeah, again, it's a, it's a sort of a, a real site. It's a real functioning way that we engage with the internet. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of really interesting things about how um, uh, we think about like relational aesthetics and artwork existing in amongst the real world and as a sort of performative act that's a thing to do in itself you might you know make a piece of artwork that functions in a shopping center or you know what's key about that work is that it's not in an art space and I think that there's a lot of potential for exploring what the internet could be as it is an everyday space it's a functional space and where we're using it for communicating with people or for um, online shopping or for dating or whatever it is that people use the internet for putting art in that context is like a an online version of relational aesthetics you know you're you're playing with the way people engage with each other and you know these real world actions or engagements you're kind of calling them art and seeing how that changes things. And yeah, I think that's really exciting. Yeah, well, I was just thinking Sophie's piece is almost, it's already got to the point where um, the sort of absurdities of the, the commercial gallery, virtual gallery, that she's already played with that and taken that apart a little bit. Yeah, it's, um, it's I mean, it, it's got that nice balance again of being, it's very serious and it's very well done, but it's also really funny. It's got, yeah, it's playful. After my conversation with Claire, we heard an excerpt of the audio from Laura Ruse's work, The Feeling of Being. Ways and Means will be on the SCELF site from the 22nd of July 2020 to the 20th of October 2020 and archived thereafter. 
The artists in the show are Katrina Brown, Zoe Cronus, Kevin Claiborne, Sophie Cunningham, Evangelia Dimitrakopoulou, Ariel Dong, Laura Jost, John Lawrence, Leap Then Look, Elin Lindekrantz, Sam Meredith, Elisa Oleva, Tom Patel, Scott Pierce, Anya Reddy, Sarah Roberts, Laura Ruse, Kate Squires and Jenny Dunseith, and Aidan Strudwick. That's all for this episode of the Skelf Podcast. I'd like to thank Claire Undy for taking the time to talk me through the new show and for all her work on Skelf. Her website is www.clareundy.com. We heard sound pieces from Leap Then Look and Laura Ruse. Theme music on this episode is courtesy of the Cleaners from Venus and the Free Music Archive. I am Mark Belden. I'd also like to send a big thank you to Lizzie Munn at Skelf. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Skelf is at www.skelf.org.uk, and all the past exhibitions are archived there. You can email us at podcast at Listen or subscribe to the Skelf podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 8 will accompany the next exhibition in October 2020. Until then.